and welcome to this week's edition of the Property Buyer and Sellers Podcast. Uh, this week, we've got many headlines coming up for you, talking about all sorts of things, including property repairs and disputes, and most importantly, the impact of the pandemic, what's happened so far, what's likely to happen in the future, and where we go from here. So I hope you're doing well, and welcome along. My name is Ken Hume. I run a company called James Alexander Estate Agents and have done for the last 30 years. We're involved with selling properties, also acquiring them. We're retained by many investors to go and find things for them, where we charge the buyer instead of the seller, and also employed by sellers of property looking to obtain the best possible price. We also have been involved in everything from property management, which we run hundreds of properties across London and manage them on behalf of landlords. We've also been involved with service charge collection and management. Not something we do anymore, but um, many things in terms of property in general. And I just wanted to give you an introduction into us. I got into property 30 years ago as a kind of sensible day job, and it's been a great career path for me. And some of the things that it's afforded me in terms of both lifestyle, but also life experience have been phenomenal. So for young people out there thinking property might be a career for them, I'd thoroughly recommend it. Even given the changes and everything, everybody's saying everything is going online. You will always need good negotiators on the ground to support the best price for sellers in terms of selling houses, more and more now, the private management of properties has become very big business over the last few years, especially since buy-to-let was introduced not that long ago. Uh, believe it or not, the buy-to-let mortgages were actually introduced very late on. And as many people know, there was no such thing as a buy-to-let mortgage if you go back in time to the 90s. So let's get into it. First of all, the property repairs and builder issues. This is something I wanted to come on to because it's something that hit a client of ours recently. And basically what can often happen, and there's a lesson here for all property investors, and that is about agreeing terms with your supplier. Something that's very rarely done well. Most builders want to give you a quotation which is at best vague. And this is not good because there's then no agreement about how things can move forward. Uh, I'll give you an example. We had a case recently, people sure remain nameless, of course, where a builder had provided a quotation for a, a job. The job was a medium-sized job, but nonetheless, the substantial amount of money involved was a lot of money to both the, the um, landlord and to the builder. The quotation was verbal, what the client understood is the price to be a fixed one. And what the builder understood was that the price was to be a price that might vary depending on what was found. None of this was put in writing. It was all verbal. And the end result was that the builder required almost double what the client had expected to pay. And now they're in dispute. Well, how can you avoid this is what it got me thinking. And one of the things you must do when you're looking at jobs is dive into the detail so that everybody understands what's being paid, when it's being paid, and at what stages that money will be parted with. Because one of the big problems is that many builders have been known, especially small builders, to run away with the money where they've got full money for a job. And many naive clients have parted with the full amount of a job price before the works is started and guess what 
it tends to take a long time when the builders already got your money. So you need to, first of all, get a program of number one, what will be provided in terms of if there's a material cost, those materials are best purchased by you if possible and delivered to site so that they remain your property and there can be no misunderstanding there. Even if the builder has a discount, he can pass that on to you via his various trade cards. And then secondly, onto the what's, when's and wherefores. Make sure you understand the timing involved, whether it involves, if you have tenants, the removal of those tenants, what that might cost you, uh, understanding from the builder's point of view of what he's going to do, what the costs will be, and what his hourly rate is outside of those costs. And pin it right down, folks. Make sure that when you're speaking to these builders, you make sure that you understand, is he tiling? Is he grouting? Is he painting? Does it include the kitchen fittings or just the kitchen? Um, you need to get down to the detail because otherwise there will be misunderstandings. And with those misunderstandings, it may well be that with good intention, there are many good builders out there that are trustworthy but can misunderstand what the purchaser of their services requires or expects. So make sure that you pin it down. I know builders don't like it when you do this, but I always say, number one, research the builders you're dealing with. Number two, make sure that you get a quote in writing which has sufficient detail so you understand exactly what you're paying for. If you do not, on the email, reply to that email and say to them so that we understand each other. Does this include tiling? Does it include the cost of the tiles? Does it include the cost of the kitchen units? Does it include painting and so on? Because so often these fine details are where the disputes end up. And I see it weekly. So make sure, folks, if you're getting works done, that you understand a who you're dealing with and that they're trustworthy. B, the time frame of when they're going to start and C, most importantly, the scope of works, what their costs are and what their costs might be for additional jobs if you need them to do other things. Because it might be that you get a price that you're happy with, but actually you're not happy with their hourly rate after that. So you need to make sure you've pinned down the scope of the works that they're carrying out for you in some detail. I hope that's helpful. Now, on to how to evaluate a good investment and the differing strategies. You know, one of the things over the years I've noticed is people have different methods of acquiring properties, what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. Many young people seem to go out there and get properties, not consider the broader impacts. Um, older people tend to be more financially aware and looking at the tax implications of Section 24. And this is basically where you can no longer set off or offset your interest payments against your mortgage. So you need to be sure that your investment stacks up. In other words, that after tax, you still come out with enough profit to make the whole situation viable. Because if you can do that, if you can actually make a property neutral even in terms of the costs, make sure there's a buffer there, of course, for repairs and the unexpected, then you can sit on that asset. And as I've said many times before, the big secret, the big secret to investment is one thing, one thing only when it comes to property, time. Time will out. If you think about it this way, if you have, you know, many people are talking about double digit growth at the moment with property prices here in the suburbs of London. We haven't seen such uh, great growth, but we've seen around 5% during the pandemic. Other areas such as outlying areas, Devon, Cornwall, some of the South Coast have seen 10, 20, 30, 40%, 50% growth in certain sectors. And so, you know, they're phenomenal, but they're not likely to continue long term. It's quite likely that those will be short term trends for obvious reasons. 
you just can't continue going like that because it comes unaffordable to everybody and therefore prices have to correct. And this is what tends to happen is it tends to go in cycles. There is there are many arguments about things like the 18 year property cycle where you can track when the market will peak and when it will trough. Uh, but my advice to you is I, I don't hold to that. I think that the market will take dips and peaks and troughs at times that are unexpected. But the one thing you can do to counter that is time. And if you hold on to that asset for long enough, then it will come good and will make you a profit. But when you go in, in the first instance, you need to understand what it is you're doing and have a plan. You know, they say failing to plan is planning to fail. And I think that's very true. So what I mean by this is if you're intending to do a buy to let investment, which is perhaps for your children. And therefore, it's going to pay for your school fees in the future for when they grow and you've got a few years. That's a perfect scenario. Or perhaps it's for your retirement and you've decided that you can't rely on the state pension. You want something that will go along the lines of inflation. Property is the perfect hedge against inflation because rents tend to go with inflation. Um, so if you're looking to do that, then you need to consider what size portfolio you're going for. And what I mean by this is, are you looking to do a single property investment, which many of our landlords have done successfully. Are you looking for a bigger portfolio? And then the considerations come in. And by the way, this is not financial advice, but it is something you need to consider and take financial advice on. If you're going for a larger portfolio, almost certainly a company, a limited company could be the route for you to go. And if you're doing a single investment, it's probably likely that the limited company scenario is not quite as good for you because the end doesn't justify the means. Um, but there are tax advantages to a limited company which are considerable because you can offset the interest payments. But there are also costs to having that limited company in terms of administration, and possible employment of accountants and so on and so forth. So you need to decide from the very beginning which way you're going. What I'm finding at the moment is that a lot of younger people are, are just diving in and buying investments because they want to get in. They just want to get into the property market. And frankly, they're right. They've seen the writing on the wall. The property is a limited asset. And therefore, you know, they say buy land, they're not making any more. And there's a lot of truth in this. So young people that are buying now, I commend you. I think you're doing the right thing. And I think in time it will come good. But time is the key. Don't be looking for very, very short term gains because that's not what the property market is. Or if you do that, then be sure you know what you're buying, how you're buying, how you're selling, and that those figures are realistic. Because in my experience, very, very few people get it right. Many of you will know that I work for Homes Under the Hammer regularly, and I can tell you that I can count on one hand the number of small individual people and companies that have made substantial profits from the investments. Some of the larger investors and the larger developments come off very well, but many of the smaller investors have found their fingers burned because the costs can quickly mount. And the things that people don't generally consider are the extra stamp duty, the extra 3% stamp duty, that is. And they underestimate particularly builders' costs, fixtures, fittings, time frame, and the funding of the project whilst it can't be let. So or or sold come to that. So many different things to consider, uh, differing strategies. My view is that simple is the best. If you're looking for a larger portfolio or you have a larger portfolio, then one of the strategies that's been quite successful and something that I recommend is to try and go for if you have a very large portfolio and you're not a limited company to actually rationalize that portfolio. And what I mean by that is 
if you can sell one or two of your properties using your annual tax allowance, once again, this is not financial advice, folks, uh, and end up with an unencumbered property, this can be really great. It's a really good strategy and something that I recommend, because if you've got properties that have no mortgage on them, then you're no longer worried about whether interest rates might rise. And by the way, my view is that interest rates aren't rising anytime soon. You know, my standard line is that they're not even thinking about thinking about raising interest rates right now. But at some time in the future, as inflation bites, it's possible that interest rates will go up and we can never be sure of that. And for that reason, taking away the worry about interest rates can really stabilize your position. So to have properties that are unencumbered and say, for instance, you have a portfolio of 10 and you can rationalize that to two that are wholly owned or, or four. And of the four, two are mortgaged and two are wholly owned. That gives you a number of important advantages. First of all, you always have the ability to refinance one of those in the short term, perhaps for bridging or perhaps for a new investment, maybe an auction purchase. So having that money liquid and available to you is great. Secondly, you've still got the rental growth, which will come over time with inflation. And thirdly, you haven't got to worry about interest rates. So if you have a large portfolio, sometimes you can be a busy fool. And literally you're running around, especially if you're not using a managing agent. And I do recommend using a managing agent. Of course, you might say I would say that. But quite often we're dealing with people completely outside of our area in the north of England. And they're you know, asking them how much time they're spending on the administration and dealing with tenant issues, reletting, refurbishing. And when you look at it in cold, hard terms, it can be that they're better off employing their time at what they're good at and allowing managing agents to do something that they do daily. And that is take the burden of those hassles away from the landlord and deal with it in-house. So legislation and compliance is so big now for landlords. You know, there is so much to make sure you do correctly in terms of law, in terms of the deposits, in terms of electrical regulations, gas regulations, making sure the right documentation is provided to the tenant, that the agreements are legally tight, that inspections are carried out. And that's without talking about things like landlord licensing. And of course, then you've got to collate everything at the year end, make sure that your tenants are paying their rent on time and then get a statement together for the inland revenue to submit to your accountant. These tasks will be handled by a competent managing agent together with giving you an annual statement showing exactly what's been spent and where, which you can pass on to your accountant together with. They'll have all the bills and invoices or at least the good ones will. And then your accountant can then collate those figures. It will be less costly for you because they've got all the information they required without toing and froing and saying, where's this invoice? Where's that? And much more efficient. So think about using a managing agent, not being a busy fool. Also, if you've got a larger portfolio, question, could you rationalize it by selling a number and then losing the mortgages at the same time and putting any profits from that after tax into the rest of your portfolio? This is a tactic that sits since Section 24, the inability to offset your interest payments against your loan has become more and more widely used. And certainly something we advocate is make sure you're not a busy fool. If you've got a large portfolio of 20 and you can rationalize it to five unencumbered, you might find that the income's not that different when you take the tax, tax implications into account. So speak to a good accountant, make sure you know what it all means to you before you decide on any drastic strategies, take financial advice, but think about the idea of perhaps getting an unencumbered property. And to those of you that are new in, in the market, it may seem a long way before you'll be in a position where you could take such a strategy forward and have a property which is unencumbered. It may look like a pipe dream, but if you think about it this way, 
if property ro prices rose by 5% a year, in 10 years time, the property will be worth 50% more than you paid. And if the rent creates a profit too, and you were to invest that as well or hold that to one side, then you can see why you would have 50% plus plus in terms of profits on the asset. You take that over double the period or twice the number of assets. And of course, then you could have enough money to potentially pay off one of your loans. Um, so well worth considering, are you a busy fool? That's the question. Now, a few bits of property news for you today. The first thing is going on to the Philip Hammond. This is interesting. This is the former conservative political strategist. He was a developer before coming an MP, and he's now working with Linton Crosby on an enterprise that would lease homes to local authorities with a shortage of local housing. He's held talks with authorities in Barking and Dagenham in East London, which has more than 7,000 households on its waiting list. It's interesting to see that former ministers are now looking at setting up property investment companies because the for-profit social impact business is one that's going to be growing because many private landlords look to professional tenants and legally they're not allowed to do that, but there are workarounds that they use and it can be the case that they go for professionals only and it's leaving local authorities under huge pressure and what they need is a professional uh, buy to rent sector and this is going to be a growing area in the next few years and letting age this is another one that's interesting and one of the typical things at this time of year we've got what i call the mum's market coming up but it's also known as the school scramble and this is an article this week in the times and it's that letting agents have warned that the pandemic fuel property boom of 2020 is now becoming the great school scramble of 2021 as parents search for properties close to top schools in time for the new academic year as schools go into their last week of term firms report that parents unable to find somewhere to buy jostle for rental properties close to top schools and there's a quote from one agent we have one family who wants to be close to Worth School near Crawley in West Sussex, and they're willing to pay £10,000 a month to secure a place to live. But I just don't have anything, says Lucy Devine of Hamptons. Meanwhile, Toby Milbank, a director at Search Partnership Buying Agency in Yorkshire, commented, this week we were asked by a client to put forward a proposal to rent a house near a popular school in York for the five years that their child will be attending the school. We also offered a, were offered a significant cash sum at the beginning of the tenancy to make the proposal more attractive to the owner. Uh, this, so this is what's happening. So, you know, many people will look at the Ofsted reports. They'll get to the good schools and schools with good catchment areas really do hold great attention for rental renters and also for buyers. You know, one of the things that especially secondary school age mums and dads look at is the quality of schools in the area they're looking and it's often the reason for the move you know one of the things that i love in my business is that we often you know one of the first questions i ask when i visit people that are looking to move is why are you moving and quite often it's the school children they're looking for inverted commas better schools in areas where they have better schooling perhaps ofsted reports perhaps private schools but certainly what they see as the most important thing in their lives and that's the education of their children and who could blame them for that and it's interesting to see that there's the usual scramble this year because we weren't really sure the way the pandemics hit it's like everything seems to be turned on its head but the old school scramble is here and it's back to normal to be honest 
an article in the BBC News and City AM this week about commuter and coastal towns seeing the biggest rent rises. And this is showing that city suburbs, commuter towns and coastal locations recorded the biggest rises in rent last year. Reitman's quarterly survey of prices shows rents were 2.6% higher in April in June, to June compared with the first three months of the year and 6.2% higher than a year ago. The study found that eight out of 10 of the biggest city centres are seeing higher rents than in June 2020, while rents outside London have risen to an average of more than 1,000 per calendar month for the first time. Yeah, and that's what we're finding is that the small properties, especially small self-contained, are hugely popular. And the reason for this is that if you're looking, for instance, for a one bedroom flat, which averages a thousand pounds per calendar month locally for a good one, then the, the alternative is shared accommodation. And this is where you share a room within a house, often with a shared bathroom and kitchen. And this can present privacy issues, especially for young ladies. Um, and you need to be really comfortable with the people you're renting with in those circumstances, of course. It does represent a saving, but that saving is not as great as you might expect because a room can command up to £700 per calendar month and a flat self-contained can be had for not much more in many cases. So it's not surprising that rent rises are being seen, especially in our experience at the lower end of the market, one bedroom, two bedroom flats are much in demand. Now an article from City AM, mortgage lending is expected to call. Banks expect mortgage lending to ease off in the coming months as a result of the tampering of the stamp duty, tapering of the stamp duty holiday. Demand for secured lending for house purchases was expected to decrease over the quarter, the Bank of England said. Well, we expect that the market will cool down um, in terms of volume. And what we're finding locally, and certainly when I speak to my colleagues nationally, it seems to be the picture is the same. Us Brits are good at doing one thing if we're not sure. Do you know what that is? Nothing. Sitting on our hands and waiting to see what the market might do. And of course, from a market point of view, what this does, particularly when it comes to house selling, is it means there's less supply available. And if there's less supply available, even though the number of buyers has also dropped off for the same reason. There's still an inequity. There are still far more people looking than there are properties available to buy. And this is helping the market to sustain current levels and beyond. So you know, the idea that the market would fall after the stamp duty holiday is looking like it might not hold water. As I said in last week's podcast, in fact, what we find is if we look across the world, that all westernized economies have risen over the pandemic, surprisingly so. And it was something that nobody anticipated. If you look at the beginning of the pandemic and you look at the news headlines, you'll find that nearly everybody was reporting that the property market would fall as the pandemic bites. And in fact, what we've seen is the polar opposite of that. And that's, you know, people say, oh, yeah, that's because of the stamp duty holiday. It's really not. And the reason we know that is that if you look at the tables and you look at house price rises across the world, what you'll find is that we're not the only ones. In fact, all Western economies have risen during the pandemic across the board. And in fact, the rises that we've had put us somewhere in the middle of that table. There are only two economies that haven't risen during the pandemic and there for reasons that may seem obvious. Number one is India because of the Delta variant and number two is Spain because people traditionally tend to be Brits and they couldn't get there. So, you know, in terms of the rest of the world, it's surprising. Turkey's top of the table, by the way, interestingly. So it's not just a thing here in London and, and the UK that property prices have risen. It's really across the world. So what we're 
expect to see over the next few months is the key thing, isn't it? What's going to happen next? I know that's on your minds. What we anticipate happening is that prices will now level. We don't suspect there'll be any huge growth, but we also don't expect the prices to fall off. We could see some growth due to the rarity of new properties coming onto the market because the market, like any other, is supply and demand. And nobody can tell you for sure what will happen next. And that's why the property market is so frustrating. Anybody tells you that this graph will tell you this will happen and that graph will tell you that will happen. They don't know any more than you and I. If you looked at all the professional property commentators before the pandemic and what their predictions were when it was hitting, they nearly all universally said that the property market would fall off a cliff. Well, they were all wrong. And that was before you brought in the stamp duty holiday. And that has added fuel to the fire. No question. Was it necessary? Well, that's a question up for debate. But in the end, what's happened is that now we've passed the first one, the June deadline where 15,000 saving can be made. We still have the second one where if you're buying up to 250,000 or over 250,000, that first tier is not being charged up until the end of September. And that is encouraging people across the UK to continue to buy. Obviously, it's not as big an incentive and that has an impact. But what we expect to happen over the course of the next few months is it will quieten down over July and August. You'll probably start to hear some reports of how the market's fallen off a cliff because, you know, newspapers and journalists love a dramatic story. And there's no more dramatic story than house prices dramatically fallen since the end of the stamp duty holiday. So I expect you'll probably hear those sorts of headlines because there's nothing like a bit of drama in property. But what I also suspect will happen is that we'll see the volumes and the number of sales drop off in July, August, because in terms of seasonally, we always expect this. And September, the market will come back strong. It nearly always does. It's what I call the mum's market. And I call it the mum's market for a number of reasons. Number one, the people that tend to call us searching tend to be mum. She tends to drive the search in my experience. Um, and secondly, because of schools, the school term, the new school term starts. And often it's also to do with holidaying. And particularly this year, what we always find is, and often I hear this kind of story where mum and dad are sat indoors and the kids are out in the garden. They've got a bit bigger. The bikes are out. They're playing. The sun's out. Everything's great. And then down comes the thunderstorm. In come the children and the bikes and the toys. And before they know it, they realize that they really don't have much space. Mum and dad look at each other and goodness me, aren't the children and their things big now? And at that point, they make a decision to perhaps move once they go back to work after their holidays. And that tends to drive the market. We tend to find a lot of property comes to market in September. It's a strong market in September. That market tends to be strong right the way through until October. Tends to start quietening down, depending on the weather, particularly November onwards, for obvious reasons. People see Christmas as a very definitive point in my area here. And it's the new year tends to be a pivotal point for people as well. So my advice would be if you're thinking of selling and you want to hit the peak point now, then it's a weird year. I mean, we're still finding good, strong demand and you want to be ready for early September because that's when a lot more property will come to market. The second week in September, we tend to find we're releasing quite a lot of new stock into the market. So if you're thinking of moving, you really want to be ready for that. And it's not a bad idea to get your property on the market a little bit early 
steal the march on it so that you're under offer because if you're buying and selling as most of us are in order to improve your lifestyle or change your lifestyle as many of us are then you need to be under offer first of all in order to compete because of the lack of stock so when that new house comes up that looks hot you want to be in a position to be able to say to that seller i'm under offer and then you're in a strong negotiating position and that's where you need to be if you're not under offer the chance of them accepting your offer is very slim so I hope that's been useful to you this week. I hope you have a great week. Next week, we're going to come back with another edition. And I hope you and your family stay safe and well. Until then, that's it this week from the Property Buyers and Sellers podcast. If you have any questions or any subjects you'd like us to cover, we'd love to hear from you. Always great to hear from you. Please do send me an email, ken at jamesalexander.com or comment on one of our videos, like us on Facebook. We're at James Alexander Estate Agents. We're also on YouTube. Look up Ken Hume. And always love to hear from you with your thoughts. And if any of you have any particular problems or questions that you'd like us to tackle on the show, then always love to get your comments and questions. And we will air them here right on your show, the Property Buyer and Sellers podcast. Until next week, stay safe and well, look after your family and friends and have a fantastic week.